Today on Crosswords and Culture, we're going to be looking at the fourth statement that Jesus made from the cross when he asked this question of his father, why have you forsaken me? Did Jesus just feel forsaken and abandoned and rejected? Or did God really forsake him in that moment while he was on the cross? And if so, what does that mean for us? What significance does it have? We're going to talk about that today on Crossroads in Culture. Hey guys, thanks again for joining me for another episode of Crossroads and Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. As you know, we have been walking through the seven statements of Christ from the cross, and today we're focusing on the fourth statement that Jesus makes. Really, it's a question he asks of God when he asks his Father why he has forsaken him. We're going to look at today, we're going to unpack this question and see, did did Jesus feel abandoned and rejected by God, or did God actually abandon his son when Jesus was on the cross? What does that mean for us, and how, how do we find hope in life's darkest moments from what's taking place on the cross and what Jesus has said with this fourth statement? Now, we find this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. We're going to look at verses 45 through, ver- through verse 50. Um, and we're going to read Matthew's account of this. So if you have your Bible and you're able to open the scriptures, encourage you to do so, or your Bible app. Uh, If you're not, I'm going to read this to you. And here's what Matthew records that takes place, uh, beginning with verse 45 in Matthew chapter 27. It says, Now from the sixth hour, now that sixth hour would have been noon, so from noon until um, the ninth hour, which would have been 3 p.m. So from noon until 3, we're going to see this darkness over the land. Here's what he says. From the sixth hour, from noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And we're going to talk about um, the last three statements over the next three days. But today we deal with this, this one statement, this question that Jesus asks, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, as we walk through this, the first part that we see is that, is that is incredible to notice is that there is darkness over all the land. That, that word land literally means over all the earth. So from the sixth hour at noon until 3 p.m., darkness began to cover the land, the earth. Now, there is a lot that's going on with this because typically darkness would be an indicator of judgment. So it's very symbolic of what's happening, what's taking place. So this darkness is indicative of what was to come for Jesus who was on the cross. Now remember, we're going to look at this a little bit further uh, as we walk through this, this, this podcast, this episode. Remember that Jesus is taking the sins of the world upon himself. And as a result of that, God must judge sin. God will pour out his wrath on Christ uh, because he's carrying the sins of the world. In essence, Jesus is the sacrifice, um, and God's wrath is poured out on the sacrifice of Christ 
for the sins of the world. So this darkness is taking place. So can you imagine being there in that day and time, standing uh, at the cross, and at noon, when the sun should be bright, um, and at 3 p.m., at the height of the heat, the height of the sun on the day, there is nothing but darkness that's taking place. I mean, we have uh, eclipse, you've, you perhaps have have been able to, to be a part of those, seeing, the, seeing those, I mean, not looking directly at the sun, right? Because gonna, you're going to blind your eyes. But, but you know what I'm talking about, these solar eclipses um, where the sun is darkened. Now, I don't know how or what God did specifically with that. I do believe that this was God-ordained darkness, and it lasted for these three hours from what we see in Scripture. And, and with all that was taking place... Um, that day, at that time, Jesus on the cross, with what had unfolded um, over these hours of trials and Jesus being beaten and now him being crucified, there's no coincidence to this. This is a God-ordained moment, both Jesus being on the cross and also the darkness that came, which again was indicative of what was to come for Christ, the judgment of God being poured out, because judgment uh, is often um, tied with darkness as we see that in scripture. So we see this taking place. It's setting the stage. The crowd is wondering what's going on. And then in the midst of that, Jesus cries out this statement, my God, my God, or this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Really, that question is more of a statement when you look at it uh, in the, the original language or in Aramaic. It literally means, my God, my God, you have forsaken me. Now, why would, we, why would Jesus make that statement or ask that question from the cross? Well, I want to talk about what Jesus knew. What did he know um, going into the cross, and then what he experienced, and then why he was forsaken, and then why does, that, why does it matter that we look at this? Why does it matter that Jesus made the statement, asked this question? So what did Jesus know? Well, he knew that he would pay the price for our sin. Jesus knew this going to the cross. We see this all throughout the scriptures. As a matter of fact, leading up to this, he tells his disciples uh, on, on several occasions, I- I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. In Mark chapter 2, verse 20, there's an interesting verse where Jesus says, the days will come with, with the bridegroom when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in that day. Obviously, bridegroom is a reference to Jesus, and being taken away from them is referencing the fact not only of his crucifixion, um, which he would then be resurrected three days later, which is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and then later on he would ascend to heaven, and we believe with all of our heart as followers of Christ that his promise is true, that he is coming back, the second coming. But he says in Mark that the days will come, with the bridegroom when he's taken away from them, that they will fast in that day. But then in the Gospel of Luke, there are three occasions specifically where Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer, that he is going to be rejected, that he is going to be um, delivered up, and he is going to be killed. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, here's one of those. It says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he speaks of his suffering, he speaks of being rejected, and who rejects him, and him being killed, and then on the third day being raised. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 44, just a few verses later, 
He says, let these words sink into your ears. In other words, Jesus is saying, guys, get this between your ears. Get this in your mind. Listen to this. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. That's in Luke 9.44. And then later in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through verse 33, here's what, here's what the scriptures say. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that, w- that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So this is what Jesus knew. He knew that he would pay the price for our sin. Yet, Luke records this also, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. That he knew what awaited him, but yet he still went to the cross. And he's telling his disciples this. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 4, Jesus says this. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. So there's that phrase that he uses, that John uses. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And then we know what took place. They arrested Jesus. And then everything from there went to these trials that took place at night, him being beaten, and then going to the cross. Now, in this, Jesus knew what was going to take place. And so the agony that Jesus would suffer and the victory that he would secure as well were not a surprise to him. So he, he would endure this agony. If, if you think about um, the cross, and I'll probably do a, an episode on what was taking place at the cross and the suffering that Jesus went to leading up to that and on the cross, it is excruciating um, to think what Jesus went through. From the, from the beating, the scourging that took place by the Roman soldiers and him losing so much blood, and then going and carrying this cross up to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And as he's there, he's hanging on the cross. It is a cruel and brutal execution. The Romans were incredibly masterful at doing this type of death penalty. It was excruciating. So these nails would be in his wrists. These nails would be in his feet. His legs would be somewhat bent. And there would be somewhat of a perch or, or, or a wooden uh, plank or, or um, almost like a step at his feet with his legs a little bit bent so that he would be able to push himself up in order to exhale. So Jesus on the cross was suffering um, this, the, the shock. He was because of blood loss, and and he is now um, at the point of having difficulty breathing, because imagine all that he's gone through and having to raise himself up to exhale so he'd be able to breathe in, but then in order to exhale, he would have to literally push himself up. Imagine doing that with your feet nailed to a cross, your wrist being nailed to a cross as well, and then and then having to put your weight on all of that, pushing up just to exhale to get the air out. So he would have asphyxiated, suffocated on the cross, as well as enduring the pain of all that he had gone through uh, prior to that. So this was, an, this was an agonizing crucifixion, and Jesus knew he would suffer. The prophets spoke to this, and Jesus said what the prophets said, that my Father revealed to them, is now coming to fruition. But he also knew the victory he would secure. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. He knew this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. All the shame that came with a cross, with the crucifixion. He, he took all of this 
because he knew what this would secure, that he would be the payment for our sin and God's wrath would be satisfied by his death. And this was not a surprise to him. But here's something else that that we know um, that Jesus knew. We know that Jesus trusted the sovereignty of his father. Jesus knew he could trust the sovereignty of his father. That word sovereignty just means that believing that, that God rules and reigns over all. There is no one else who is above him. He is sovereign over all things. That, that God is in control of all things. And so Jesus trusted the sovereignty of his father even at the cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, listen to what Isaiah speaks of regarding the Messiah who would be crucified. This is speaking of Jesus some 700 years prior to Jesus' crucifixion. Isaiah writes, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Now we could stop right there and spend a lot of time and ask the question, why was this the will of God to crush him? Why was it the will of the Lord to crush him? Remember, the reason why Jesus died on the cross was so that you and I and all of humanity could be reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can be reconciled to God. Well, apart from Jesus' sacrifice, we would not be able to have a relationship with God because of our sin. So Isaiah writes, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, speaking of Jesus, and he has put him to grief, speaking about Jesus, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That's Jesus. He made an offering for our guilt. And he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. He, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, verse 10. But then also in Psalm 22, which I would encourage you to go back and read the whole psalm, Psalm 22, because it is a messianic psalm. It speaks to Christ. There are a couple of passages, a couple of times in Psalm 22 that we see Jesus um, speaking this and, and, and referencing this. Um, but listen to Psalm 22, verse 7. This is the second part of verse 7, and then verse 24. And it's speaking of the Messiah, even though David is the one writing this, King David. Says he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Now, what we see in this is Jesus entrusting his Father in these moments. And Jesus becomes the model for us and how we walk in relationship with God the Father, trusting him even in our darkest moments. We can trust God even in our darkest moments, and here's why. Because we saw that Jesus was trusting his Father in his darkest moments, the darkest moments on the cross. We see this, and as we see Jesus trusting his Father in these difficult moments on the cross, on the cross, then so can we in our darkest moments. I mean, Jesus gives us that hope. So maybe for you right now, you're walking through some things in life, some circumstances that you're facing, and you don't understand why you're going through this. And it's not because you've sinned against God, perhaps, or you've done anything wrong. Maybe you've been seeking to be obedient to God, and you have been obedient to God. You've been making right choices and doing what God says is right and good, yet you find yourself in the midst of storms of life, and you're tossed, and you don't know why it's happening. Now, just as a kind of a little caveat here, sometimes things happen in us as consequences because of our sin, but then there are other times that, that, we've not, that we've not done anything in disobedience to God, but we just experience the brokenness of this world, and it's just difficult. Life is difficult. We experience persecution. We experience um, trials. 
And, and, but, but you may be wondering to yourself, why is this happening? I just feel like I'm in the midst of this storm and I feel tossed and I don't know why this is going on. I don't know why I've been diagnosed. Maybe you're saying, I, I don't know why I've been diagnosed with cancer. I don't know why my marriage is struggling the way it's struggling. I don't know why I'm dealing with the issues with my kids that I'm dealing with right now and why they're going through this. Maybe those are some of the things that you're dealing with. Maybe you're wondering why you're struggling with some of the things that, you're, that you personally struggle with and you find that it's just hard and it's difficult. Or maybe there are things that are going on in your, in your workplace or, uh, or your work culture or your neighborhood or whatever it may be. Whatever your circumstance is, what we can do is we can look to Jesus and see that just as he trusted his Father and the sovereignty of God, we can as well. We can trust that God is in complete control even though you feel like your life may be in a tailspin right now. And you feel like it is nothing but chaos. And you think, God, how could you be in control? Listen, Satan, the enemy will try to convince you that God is not in control. I mean, I, I, look, at, I look at the chaos of our culture right now and what's taking place, and it, it doesn't take looking at it very hard to see that our culture is in a tailspin. I mean, we are, we are nosediving quickly, and it's because of the sin in this world. And it would be easy in the same way when you look at the cross, when you take the picture of what's going on and seeing what's taking place, if you're someone who's standing at the foot of the cross, you're Mary or, or, or John or others who are standing at the cross, and as you're looking at this and you're seeing this one whom you followed, whom you believe was the Messiah, and you're watching him being crucified on the cross, even though it was prophesied by the prophets, and even though Jesus had mentioned this, as Luke records, but you're watching it, and you're seeing it, and you're wondering, how is this happening? And it looks like chaos to you. That we need to step back and look and see that even though it looks like chaos, that really what's happening is, is that God is in complete control. So when I look at the cross, we get the vantage point of looking at it from this side of the cross. And what the cross reminds us of, this side of the cross, is that God is in complete control. That's what the gospel speaks to us, that God is sovereign over all things. Even when you feel like it's out of control, it's not because God is messed up. It's because this world is messed up. We're messed up because of sin. But yet God in his mercy and his grace said to us, I'm going to step into the mess of your life and, and, and I will do something with this mess if you just surrender to me. I'll do something in this. You can trust me. And when we see Jesus, we see Jesus trusting the sovereignty of his Father. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that even in another one of these statements that he makes um, in the next couple of days as we look at this and unpack that as well. So we see in Psalm 22 um, that there's him trusting his Father uh, because Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew what was awaiting him. And yet he trusted. He kept moving forward. Another example of that was when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed to his father, if there's any way that this cup can pass me, the cup of redemption, but also that the wrath that would be poured out on God, but this cup of redemption, if there's any way that this cup could, could pass from me, then, then God let it pass from me. But then he made this statement, but not my will be done, your will be done. You know, oftentimes we want our will to be done, but Jesus said, I want your will, Father. 
I want to do your will. So really the battle was won in Gethsemane when he said, I'm going to be obedient to my father. And here's why. Because he trusted the sovereignty of his father. So, so as we look at this, when Jesus asked this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew what was going into this, to into this moment, in these dark moments. So he knew this. But, but then the question we ask is, well, what did Jesus experience? What was going on at the cross that led him to ask this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I've heard some pastors and even some who um, would profess to be scholars say that, that, Jesus, that Jesus wasn't truly rejected and abandoned by God, but he just felt rejected and abandoned by God. Now, I, that's a, that would be a popular sentiment in our culture today because even though it is good to acknowledge and validate your feelings— we live in a culture, I believe, where we have embraced our feelings as reality and as truth. That if I feel a certain way, then it must be true. And the problem is when you don't put truth as guardrails around your feelings and even your experiences, you're quickly going to go off rails and over the cliff. We're seeing that happen in our world right now. I mean, there, those are other podcasts coming, I'm sure. But back to Jesus and him asking this question or making this statement on the cross, he, didn't, he did not just feel rejected and abandoned by God. He was rejected and abandoned by God. And the reason we can say this is because the word for forsaken in the Greek language is the word egkalipo. It literally means to reject or to abandon. It doesn't mean to feel abandoned or to feel rejected, but it means to abandon. So while Jesus was on the cross, his father rejected, abandoned him because of the sin that he had been carrying or carried for us on the cross. It doesn't mean that Jesus was a sinner. It means he was carrying the sin of the world upon him. And so he asked his father, why have you forsaken me? Or even more appropriately in the Aramaic, it says, you have forsaken me, which is in keeping with Psalm 22, which speaks to this. When Jesus asked this or when the messianic prophecy of this this messianic psalm that David had written asked this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, as we, as we keep going through this, I, I, wanna, I, I, I want you to understand that Jesus goes from hearing at the beginning of his ministry, remember when he came on the scene, that he was baptized and God said of his son in front of all of these people, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. To now on the cross saying to his father, why have you forsaken me? He went from being the beloved son of whom God was pleased with now to being the son, the son who was now forsaken because he was carrying the weight of the sin of the world on his, on his shoulders and he would be rejected and abandoned on the cross. Now he would not be rejected and abandoned forever, obviously. But while he was on the cross carrying our sin, he was forsaken. He wasn't just feeling as though he was rejected or forsaken. Now, some of you, maybe you've, you've heard of the book and read, maybe you've read the book or seen the movie called The Shack. It's been out for, gosh, years. Um, it's sold like over 20 million copies and don't know how many it's sold now. But, but there's a statement in that book that Papa, that's reference to to God, the one who's, who's supposed to be portraying God, says of Jesus this statement, and I'm quoting from the book, this is what Papa says regarding Jesus and Jesus being on the cross. He said this, quote, 
regardless of what he, speaking of Jesus, felt at that moment, I never left him, end quote. Now, that, that's just a, that is a complete lie. It's a falsehood. Now, if, if, you've, if you've watched The Shack or the movie, look, I'm not here to condemn you. You can watch the movie, read the book. You just need to know what the truth is. Um, so in the book, again, he said, regardless of what Jesus felt at that moment, I never left him. God absolutely rejected and abandoned, forsook his son. And the reason why, and we've got to understand this, the reason why was because Jesus was the one who carried our sin upon himself um, on the cross, and God poured out his wrath on the sin. You see, if we, if we think less of that, what we end up doing is minimizing our sin and the price, the incredible cost and the price that Jesus paid for our sin. So, so think about this. Jesus cries out with this loud cry, why have you forsaken me? And it is such a cry. I want to, I want, I want to point this out because I think it's so important that this is the only time in the Greek language in, in the scriptures that we see this phrase. There's an intensifier that is used in the Greek language um, when it refers to a loud voice. This is a this is like a scream. It, it makes me wonder why the writers didn't use the word scream or something to that effect. But in the Greek language, they would have understood how intense this cry was. This was a loud scream because Jesus, think about this, Jesus, who had never been separated from God the Father, experienced the agony of being cut off and separated. You go back to the book of Genesis. I've referenced that over this last couple of podcasts that Jesus was never separated from the Father at the very beginning because he's not created. He's the uncreated one. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, in community with one another, never separated from one another for all eternity. And now Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is on the cross bearing the weight of our sin, and God forsakes him. He is, Jesus is abandoned to the cross, and now he cries out in agony because he's never experienced this type of separation before, and he's crying out, not because of the pain, although the pain was great. He's crying out because of this, this forsakenness. R.C. Sproul, who was an incredible theologian, he calls it the scream of the damned. Now, I think if there's any phrase that I've heard that comes close to being appropriate as to what this must have been like when Jesus cried out with this, it would be this phrase, that it was like the scream of the damned. If you want to understand what the torture of hell is like, try wrapping your mind around the cry of Jesus and the anguish of separation from God. You see, Jesus went through the hell of the cross so that you and I would not have to. He experienced all the wrath poured out, the fury of God's wrath because of sin. The truth is, is that because God is a loving God and God must also be a just God. And because God is a just God, he cannot overlook sin. He will pour out his wrath on sin, which makes the cross so incredibly beautiful, not just excruciating, but incredibly beautiful because Jesus paid the price. He took the full cup of wrath. He took the full wrath of God on our behalf. He literally went through hell so that we wouldn't have to, that we could be rescued from 
this wrath that God would pour out on sin and being separated from God for all eternity. Now, you've heard people say before that, man, it's just like hell on earth or, or my life is, has been hell. You know, it, your worst day on earth doesn't even come close to the best day in hell because there are no best days in hell. And when Jesus is on the cross, he's experiencing complete separation from God. He has been forsaken. Now, here's the reality in this life. Even though somebody may not know Jesus, they may reject Jesus. Matter of fact, they may be atheists or an agnostic or whatever. The reality is that while they're still on this earth, they are still in the midst of God's presence. You can't escape God's presence. We see God and the beauty of his creation. He is, God is not a tree, right? He's not a rock. But we see the beauty of God's creation, and we can experience his presence even through what God has shown us in creation and through other people who are followers of Christ. We're able to be around God's activity and his presence. But think about what Hell is going to be like when you're separated from the presence. Not to say that you won't acknowledge the fact that there's a God, but there is no way you can have a relationship with Him. You are abandoned. And that's the penalty of rejecting Christ, is that you're dead in sin. And so here's Jesus on the cross, and he is enduring the cross, despising its shame. He is taking the wrath, the full cup of wrath of God on sin on our behalf. So he went through the hell of the cross so that you and I would not have to. Now, why was he forsaken? Well, we've talked about this again throughout this podcast, is that he bore, the, he bore all the weight of our sin. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. So he bore all the weight of our sin, but he also bore the curse of sin. He bore, he bore the curse of sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, for, for our sake he made him to be sin. Speaking of Jesus. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the scriptures teach us. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, listen to what Paul writes. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And then in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He bore the curse of sin, the separation, the wrath, and the death. See, God's final act towards his son would be his full wrath poured out in judgment of sin. Thus, the darkness that happened when Jesus was there from noon until 3 p.m. So he bore all the weight of our sin, he bore the curse of sin, and he was forsaken so that we would not have to be forsaken. See, Jesus substituted himself in our place. Romans 5 tells us that, that that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He substituted himself in our place. It's a phrase called substitutionary atonement, that Jesus took our place and took the wrath of the Father. Wow, what, I mean, what, what an incredible display of love that God would do this, that Jesus would do this. Now, I, I love this as to why it matters. Here's why this matters. 
so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says that. There is this glorious paradox when we view the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. Jesus was willing to be rejected and abandoned so that you and I would not have to be rejected and abandoned. That is the incredible grace of Jesus shown towards us or to us on the cross. And so when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he was taking all the sin of the world on his shoulders. He received the wrath. He was, the wrath of God was fully poured out on him. And he didn't just feel forsaken. He was forsaken in that moment. He was abandoned in that moment so that you and I wouldn't have to be. And so I, I hope that as you have listened to this, and there's so much more we could talk about, even just from this one statement, from this one question, but out of all of this, here's what we need to know. That Jesus, in his darkest moments on the cross, has given us hope in this. That if you are dead in sin, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your darkest moments in life is that, is that you don't know God, you don't have a relationship with him. But the hope that we can find is in knowing that because Jesus took our place, we can now have a relationship with him through Jesus. That's how we find hope in our darkest moments of being separated from God. But there's also another practical aspect of this, that in the darkest moments of Jesus' life while he was on the cross, he fully trusted his Father. And he modeled for us what it means for us, even in our dark moments in life. Even though we won't go through the excruciating pain that Jesus went through in this crucifixion, or carrying the weight of the sin of the world on our shoulders, there are still some very painful things that we walk through. There are things that you have experienced in life and you will experience in life, and it's going to leave you asking the question, where is God in all this? And what this points to is that we can, regardless of what we feel, we can know without a doubt that God has not forsaken us because Jesus was willing to be forsaken so that we would not have to be that we can fully trust that even though things seem like that they are in chaos, God is in control. It may not feel like it, but the truth is that God says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. And it's all because of what Christ did on the cross for us. Now, that's good news. And that's what the cross speaks to us. It's what the gospel says. So my hope, my prayer for each of you who are listening wherever you may be, whatever, whatever country you're in, whatever state you're in here in the United States, my hope and my prayer for you is that if you do not have a relationship with God, that you would realize that you are separated from Him. And that is as dark as it can get, not just in this life, but I pray and hope that you will surrender to Jesus as Savior because without Jesus as your Savior, rejecting His sacrifice lead you to separation now, but will also lead to separation for all eternity. And it's a separation and an agony that you can't even fathom. Can't even fathom. But the good news is that Jesus has given us hope through his death on the cross and that he didn't stay there. That on the third day, we know he rose again from the dead. And we celebrate that on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday. 
Well, I hope that as you've listened to this, it's been somewhat sobering uh, and a reminder of the pain that Jesus went through, the agony, the anguish, and what he carried on himself, and that he literally took the full wrath of God for our sin so that we could experience his righteousness and we could experience his salvation. It's a glorious thing. I hope that you will share this with friends of yours. Um, sit down and listen to them, uh, listen to it with them if you want to, and maybe they ha- may have some questions that you could talk with them about this or share it on your social media posts. Um, but I hope and pray that this has been something that has made you think even more about what Jesus did on the cross as we continue to walk through this week we call Holy Week, leading up to his death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Resurrection Sunday that's coming up this Sunday that we celebrate that. Well, thanks so much for listening to Crossroads and Culture. Uh, I hope that you will join me again tomorrow as we look at the fifth statement that Jesus makes from the cross. I hope you have a great rest of the evening and look forward to you joining me next time on Crossroads and Culture.